Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bull, Director of Public Affairs. We are back in Jeff City. The legislature's back in session this week, and we have quite a bit going on in ag policy at the Capitol. We're going to dig into that with B.J. Tanksley here in a second. And we also have quite a bit going on at the federal level uh, as well as we work closer to election season. Things really start getting to crunch time. So let's get started. B.J. Tanksley is our Director of State Legislative Programs, and we're back in session this week after the mid-session spring break. So, B.J., there's been a lot of stuff going on with uh, ag policy over the past few weeks, and we haven't dif- uh, we, we haven't dug in too deeply on any of those. So I wanted to get a little bit of a, a catch-up on where things stand on those things. So uh, what, what have you been watching on that, that front? Yeah, we're back from spring break. The uh, House is spending most of the week talking about the budget bills, so I thought it'd be a good time to catch up on some of those ag issues since we talked about some of the non-ag issues we're focusing on. Um, some of the ag issues we're working on, uh, looking at this year, would be um, ag land valuation, uh, looking at some clean water law issues, and um, making sure that uh, regulation of agriculture stays at the Department of Agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the ag land valuation front, I think we talked about it early in session, but looking at putting some, some reasonable caps on any one given increase that the uh, state tax commission would give to ag land values. Ag land values are ta- our ag- agriculture property is taxed differently than other, other property as it is taxed based on the productive value of that land. So the state tax commission has to look at that and and give a value to different soil types across the state. It's it's a kind of a complicated process, but it makes sure that ag land is is taxed basically like other businesses would would be by the amount that you could make off of that property rather than a home valuation or a car Mm. or other types of personal property. Um, So what this bill would aim to do is put a 2% cap on that um, over any one given increase, which happens every two years, and an 8% cap over a 10-year rolling period. So mm-hmm. no, so it would put reasonable caps on that. Um, so we are looking to see that get done in the second half of session. Hopefully we see some movement on those bills. Um, the bills were passed out of their, their original committee the first half of session, and we'd like to see that movement continue. Uh, there's been They've stalled a little bit, but we do think there's some good opportunities to see those moves as ag bills pick up pace in the second half of session. Um, And we think that's a reasonable thing to look for. Uh, We're looking for some surety. We've seen other states that took large increases that were hard on producers when values came back down. Mm -hmm. Um, We know it's easier to increase taxes than it is to reduce them. Um, And so to be able to put some reasonable caps on those, we think would be a big step forward for our state. Uh, So that's one of the things we're looking for in the second half of session on the ag front. And on that, that, so that wouldn't require the commission to raise the taxes whatsoever, right? No, absolutely not. It, it, it does not say they have to increase. Mm-hmm. Like this no minimum, year, it's just a maximum. It's yeah, a cap. yeah, like this year where we saw um, values have come down on cattle prices and mm-hmm. corn, soybean, our, our other major commodities, those prices are below what they were on the 10-year average or so. Mm-hmm. And so we actually asked for no increase and the state tax commission gave no increase on the best soil types and even decreased on some of those lower soil types mm-hmm. because they said they wanted to keep that um, differential fair amongst the different soil types. So this by no means says there needs to be an increase or has to be an increase, but that if we are going to take an increase, it should be incremental over time so that we don't see large spikes. You know, really surety is what we're all looking for out there and not not having an unexpected huge increase in your property tax. The ability to plan ahead for what next year may may cost you to the government, uh, when especially when times are tight like they are now and 
uh, a couple percent can make a big difference, but uh, an 8% increase in one year could put you under. That's exactly right. And and not too many years ago, Missouri saw a proposed large increase. Mm -hmm. Um, We were able to argue against that in the legislature, but that's not always going to be the case. And so to be able to say those proposals should be incremental would be, would be, is what we're looking for in that one. Yeah. Um, Also on the agriculture front, we're talking about the clean water law, you know, um, based on some interpretations, um, Missouri agriculture is either exempt or not exempt from some of the provisions of the of the clean water law. Um, and so the commodity groups with Missouri Farm Bureau support have been working on uh, some clarification language to say that agriculture um, irrigation and uh, return flows and stormwater runoff isn't um, it doesn't have to be permitted by DNR um, unless it is causing damage to a water of the state. So mm-hmm. it says if we're not causing an issue by normal farming practices, um, that DNR basically needs to watch but not get involved and start um, increasing the level of monitoring on those farming practices. And so we know um, as we look at water quality issues across the United States that agriculture is one of those that typically um, are pointed at, and we want to make sure that Missouri agriculture is protected when we talk about Missouri DNR and the permitting processes and the costs that are associated with that and make sure that Missouri farmers stay on a firm ground. You know, farmers across the state are doing more today than ever to save soil. You know, there's less um, there's less tillage going on between the uh, soil uh, conservation tax and others. We've saved a ton of erosion in the state of Missouri and doing better every year. Um, and so we think that farmers are doing a great job to protect the environment. And we want to make sure that DNR knows that too. Yep. So. And, and it would really cause a real practice problem if you were um, if you were farming and irrigating and you were required to go ask the state for permission and fill out a formal petition a, a permit request if you were trying to, to do any normal activities that could make it really hard to farm and um, if it's not causing a actual harm then that's just a totally unnecessary step to take that's exactly right and not to mention a nightmare for for the Department of Natural yeah. Resources to do it on a true basis yeah, yeah go through all those applications all the time they they're strapped enough to to monitor the regulations they're already supposed to do so that's exactly yeah. right and one last bill we'll cover real quickly is a bill to make sure that uh, regulation of uh, seed and soil conditioners remains at Department of Nat- of Agriculture on the state level uh, Farm Bureau's had policy to make sure that regulations of agriculture remain at, de- at Missouri Department of Agriculture rather than at the county level uh, for a while. Mm-hmm. And this bill's right in line with that. It says that counties shouldn't adopt ordinances or regulations that say what types of seed or soil conditioners could be used in and around their county. Our, our operations these days, agriculture operations across the state, cross county lines on a daily basis. You know, the size of operations growing or just their location means they're working in multiple counties and to have to change what you're doing based on, uh, you know, a one mile difference doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Department of Agriculture does a great job of monitoring what's going on out there and protecting everyone in the state as well as other agriculture operations. Um, and we don't want to make sure that we don't have a patchwork of regulations around the state, but rather a uniform regulation that makes sure Missouri's moving forward in a uniform fashion. So sure. that's another thing we'd like to see get done in the second half of session. All of these bills have seen some movement, um, but with uh, about six weeks left, we'd like to see some more attention to those as we uh, push forward for, for good policy on agriculture front as well. Well, nothing motivates a legislature like a deadline. So <laughs> That's exactly right. Your job's about to get a lot busier over yes, the next few the, weeks. These last weeks become kind of the unknown, and you have to be there quite a bit, but uh, that's mm-hmm. what makes it fun. Well, good. All right. We'll appreciate the update on these things, and we'll talk with you next week. Yeah, thanks a lot. 
Spencer Tuma is our Director of National Legislative Programs, and Congress is on recess this week, but that doesn't mean nothing's happening. We have quite a bit going on. Spencer, good to see you this week. What do we have happening this week? Well, thanks for having me again. Uh, This week and last week has certainly been busy for Congress. Like you mentioned, uh, Congress actually adjourned on Friday for two weeks of recess for the Easter holiday. Um, That's typical for every Congress uh, every year. Uh, But before they left Washington, they actually did pass an omnibus spending bill that will Mm -hmm. fund the government through the rest of the fiscal year. Uh, It was a little touch and go there for a little bit. We weren't (laughs) sure if it was going to pass, and then we weren't really sure if the president was going to sign it. But at the end of the day, we did see that funding package go through. Yeah. And that package, you know, there were a lot of concerns about the size of it and the the overwhelming amount of spending that was in it and basically blew the caps off of everything. So that was concerning. And, you know, Farm Bureau policy uh, does support a federal balanced budget amendment and Mm -hmm. we definitely are concerned with the fiscal um, responsibility of the of the measure but there also were some specific policy provisions in there that were really uh, things that we've been working on for a long time and, and we're glad to see in there Yes, absolutely. We had, um, like you said, like we are concerned with um, the size of the spending package. Of course, we would prefer that Congress goes through the traditional budget process. Uh, and having multiple continuing resolutions, of course, has really been frustrating for a lot of people. But as far as some specific policies that we've been really interested in, uh, one of those that was included in the bill was the reauthorization of the Secure Rural Schools Act. And I know we've had several episodes uh, dating back to even last fall talking about how important that issue is to mm-hmm. our rural school district. So we were very pleased to see that reauthorized and continued for two additional years. Another thing that was included in the omnibus bill was a fix to the Section 199A cooperative tax deduction, which was uh, kind of figured out to be a technical error in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So they were able to uh, make some changes to that provision in the bill. In addition, um, CERCLA reporting is something that we've been hearing a lot about lately. Uh, If you're not familiar with the issue, CERCLA is also known as the EPA Superfund Law, which basically uh, requires you to report hazardous waste emissions. And there was a court ruling uh, last year that would have required agricultural operations to report animal emissions, animal waste emissions, mm-hmm. as hazardous emissions <laughs> under this rule. So actually, it was really uh, interesting to see Congressman Billy Long from Missouri had actually introduced a bill to exempt ag operations from CERCLA, and Senator Deb Fisher from Nebraska had done a companion bill in the Senate with very similar language, and that provision was ultimately included as a permanent fix in this bill. Yeah, So that's a, a number of things that uh, gave some real positives to uh, what otherwise may have been a pretty frustrating bill. So yes. <laughs> glad to see at least there was some uh, silver lining in that. So um, we also uh, are, are on recess this week. I guess Congress likes to call it a congressional uh, constituent work period. That's right. Yes. Um, and they're actually going to be doing some work. You're headed out later this uh, this morning to head over to the Kansas City area for an event. That's right. So we are continuing our first year of our Coffee with Congress events throughout the state. Uh, so we've previously had events with Congresswoman Hartzler and Congressman Luke Kimeyer, but today I'm actually leaving later this morning to head to an event, a Coffee with Congress with Congressman Cleaver. So mm-hmm. Congressman Cleaver has a relatively small district compared to some of his counterparts in the Missouri uh, delegation, but he does have a significant agricultural impact in his district. And so we're very excited to hear his thoughts on how things might be moving forward with the farm bill and what the outlook is for the rest of the legislative year. Sure. And and his district is a much more urban district than the rest of the uh, the delegation, aside from uh, Congressman Clay. But uh, he definitely comes from a farming background as Mm -hmm. a child and understands um, the 
what what farming is like to a much uh, greater degree than some urban legislators might. So yes. he is open to actually listening to Farm Bureau's positions on things and likes to have that discussion with us. So we really do appreciate him yeah. doing that. We're really looking forward to it. And uh, unfortunately, we've had a little bit of rainy weather. So I'm hoping <laughs> that it's uh, cleared off a little bit so everybody can have a safe drive over to the event. <laughs> Hopefully so. Uh, so what else is going on with Congress this week? So uh, not really related to Congress, but something that is making the news is the United States and South Korea have allegedly reached a deal to close the renegotiation of the chorus agreement. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, according to my sources and what I've been hearing, there are no changes to the agricultural provisions. Uh, However, there are going to be some changes uh, regarding steel and automobiles. Um, South Korea, I believe, has reached an agreement on the new tariffs that the Trump administration had proposed and and figured out how they're going to be able to work through that and continue that trade agreement. One interesting thing that I did learn um, is that with the renegotiation of chorus, there's actually an article within the trade agreement that allows for renegotiations. Mm-hmm. So we've gone through this whole process. Those changes don't actually have to be approved by Congress. They're mm-hmm. done under the Trade Promotion Authority um, provision, and so they're not. They don't have to go to the legislative body. Sure. Well, that makes it a whole lot easier to make it happen because getting those votes right now would be very, very challenging in an election year. You're absolutely right, and that's the point of Trade Promotion Authority. I yeah. mean, Farm Bureau fought hard for that a few years ago. And and that's a provision that I think has benefited uh, us over the past several years. And so we were we were pleased to see that go through and, and we've, we're seeing the benefits of it now. Great. Anything else going on in your world this week? You know, we are, uh, of course, still watching the farm bill situation. That's probably the biggest thing, I think, looming on everyone's mind mm-hmm. over this congressional recess, at, at least in the ag policy world. Um when Congress returns April 9th, there will be probably some movement to try and get a farm bill through committee. Uh, Chairman Mike Conaway has asserted that he is going to try to move the farm bill with or without Democratic support. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not sure at the end of the day whether or not that plays out in ag's favor. Uh, however, I think there is still at least some effort to get a farm bill through before we kind of close our window of opportunity, if yeah. you will. I think if we get too much farther into the summer months, we're yeah. going to have to extend it. And there have been already a lot of people saying that this uh, omnibus that just passed last week is the last piece of major legislation yes. that's going to happen this yes, year. Yes, I've heard that. <laughs> Being in the middle of March, that's not real optimistic. But uh, yeah, and part of the the problem with passing a farm bill unilaterally uh, with one party's support only is that the whole structure of the farm bill is intended to um, draw from both sides in yes. order to get enough votes to pass. Mm-hmm. It's not even designed to pass uh, to be able to pass with one party's vote. So that would be quite a feat if they're able to make that happen. Right. And I think, you know, you raise a good point. It is intended to bring bipartisan support. And there are even, you know, certain groups within specific parties that yeah. don't, you know, excuse me, support that legislation. So I think it'd be very difficult to pass it without any bipartisan support. Yeah. Nearly impossible. Well, you know, hope springs eternal. And, That's true. you know, hopefully they'll be able to find a way to make it through. But um, things are starting to look a little bit more uh, likely that we may have like a, a one-year extension or something like that mm-hmm. to get through the election season. But yeah, it's not over yet. There's still a chance that it may end up happening. I'm not giving up. Yeah, good. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, appreciate it, Spencer, and have a safe trip over to Kansas City this this morning. Hope you have a good event with Congressman Cleaver. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Leslie Holloway is our Director of Regulatory Affairs, and we were out in Washington, D.C. last week and had uh, uh, not just the opportunity to visit with our legislators, but some of our people also had some good opportunities to talk with people in the executive branch. And 
dig into a little bit more of what's going on with some very technical detailed issues um, that are uh, th- that are affecting Missouri. So, Leslie, uh, I understand that we learned some more about the highly erodible lands issue that some of our members have been uh, have been working on uh, with some of the federal agencies. What, what have we learned there? Yes, this was a, another one of these carryover uh, matters from the previous administration. But what had happened was the USDA had conducted uh, an inspection of certain programs involving NRCS and conservation compliance in several states. Missouri was one. But the decision was made by the Office of the Inspector General out of USDA in 2016 that um, Missouri was not appropriately enforcing certain aspects of conservation compliance relative to farm programs. And so NRCS was directed uh, to look at the way those compliance provisions are being enforced and inspect farms and notify those uh, producers who were not in compliance of additional measures that would need to be taken to come into compliance. Um, When the state farm bureaus, Missouri Farm Bureau uh, and others, Iowa, Nebraska, found out what the decisions were, were, um, we registered our uh, concern because what USDA was essentially doing was going in and changing the terms of a contract. Producers had signed contracts to uh, conduct certain conservation uh, practices, and now USDA was coming in and saying, well, that's not enough. We need you to do more, mm-hmm. and in a very short period of time. In in addition to not having, in addition to having to do more, it was going to be on a pretty short time frame. So, the meeting in uh, Washington was with the USDA officials who are now in place under the current administration, trying to bring this to their attention. And um, our President Blake Hurst, Vice President Todd Hayes, and Director of National Affairs Spencer Tuma were able to actually sit down along with representatives of Iowa Farm Bureau with the NRCS officials uh, at the USDA headquarters. And so they talked through the current status. Essentially, what's happening next is there will be follow-up inspections conducted on these farms this spring, and uh, landowners should be receiving notification from NRCS um, advising them that if they have not taken action yet to um, at least initiate some of these additional practices that might be required that they would likely want to try to do that before mm-hmm. these inspections take place to be in the best position to um, come through the inspections cleanly. We are still hopeful that there will be some action taken out of the headquarters office in Washington to try to uh, grant more flexibility and, more importantly, to recognize that the terms of a contract cannot simply be changed because right. USDA decides that we want to change our interpretation of policy. Mm-hmm. And this has a real potential uh, to impact a ton of people. I, I was talking with um, Blake Hurst about this uh, yesterday, and he was really making the point that this is not a localized issue. This is basically everybody in a, a large swath of area that just gets affected by this because of nature. It's not really even an unusual thing or because you're um, utilizing bad practices. Yes. And um, he, he was concerned that maybe NRCS uh, wasn't wasn't aware of the, the actual scope of uh, what this really would mean and how unenforceable it would probably be to, to have it um, on such a scale. It is hard to imagine in Missouri that the types of standards that at least were initially being discussed 
um, could prevent a producer from qualifying from being eligible mm-hmm. for farm program benefits, and that's the penalty for not being in compliance. So this is a, a very serious issue, and the presidents, uh, President Hurst, as well as the presidents of the Iowa Farm Bureau and the Nebraska Farm Bureau, actually sent a letter to Secretary Purdue last fall um, bringing this to his attention and asking for some reconsideration of the interpretation of the policy. And so that's the process that is still underway at that level. But um, yes, it, it is almost impossible to stop ephemeral gully erosion, mm-hmm. especially given the types of precipitation events that we're seeing. And so there needs to be a little more common sense and a practical approach, especially when it's very clear that a producer is making a good faith effort right. to do everything they can to uh, control erosion on their land. That's supposed to be the whole point. Right, exactly. That's what gets so frustrating about this is that it's not, as I said, not because uh, you did anything wrong necessarily. It's just because you happen to own a farm in an area where that's just the way the nature works. Exactly. Uh, you'll have huge rainstorms and they'll wash things out sometimes and you want to minimize that and they're taking steps to minimize that. Um, but you can't prevent it entirely. That's exactly right. Well, uh, we'll definitely want to see how this p- plays out over the next few months, um, because like you say, it, it really could end up being something that affects almost everybody. So we really want to make sure to keep a close eye on it. Right. Well, I appreciate you talking with us. We'll look forward to chatting with you next week. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for joining us this week. We look forward to talking to you again next week.